All right, HEC, it's great to see you today. I'm here with my good friends, Sean and Joe. And guys, as we're checking out the table ourselves, I think we should do this again, but with food. This looks lacking. These flowers are not gonna taste good. But here we are in a brand new series talking about what happens around the table. And I thought I'd bring a couple friends, my son-in-law and his best friend, to just kind of talk about this is where great things happen when we're around the table and have meaningful conversations. That being said, get out of here. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Give Joe and Sean a hand, we're grateful for them kind of helping us out a little bit today. And you guys, I'm so glad to be with you. We're in week two of a brand new series uh, called A Place at the Table. And what we're doing is we're looking at Luke's gospel. If you have a Bible today, you can make your way to Luke chapter 10. That's where we're gonna be. And we're looking at Luke's gospel, and I love it. We uh, shared this last week. A commentator wrote that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either on his way to a meal, or he's at a meal, or he's going to a meal. It's just there's always these great narratives of Jesus around the table, having a meal, having food with people that he's connected to or those he's just meeting for the first time. So we're excited to kind of dive into this. We're making our way, this is week two in this new series, and we're making our way through Luke's gospel all the way to Palm Sunday, all the way to the upper room and all the way to the cross and Resurrection Sunday on Easter. So Luke's gospel is gonna be our background, is gonna be our, our text that we walk through the next few weeks. And I'm excited even as I think about next week, someone who has become a friend to High Desert Church is actually a good friend of mine named Eric Tonis. And Eric is a professor at Biola University. Just uh, a lot of students who have actually come from HDC have had Eric in there as their professor and just a wonderful guy, loves Jesus so much. He's also an associate pastor of, a, of an evangelical free church there in La Mirada. And you're just gonna love him. He's spoken here at HCC a few times. He's gonna be here next Saturday and Sunday to be able to help in this series, a really beautiful passage that we're gonna dive into and, and just see again, Jesus on display in a profound way. Now, also one thing that we told you we would do is that we would keep you in the loop related to services with our beloved pastor, Tim Wheeler. And that's gonna happen next Saturday, March the 11th. It's gonna be at one o'clock here in Powell Auditorium. For those of you not able to attend for whatever reason, it's also gonna be available online. And so you can stream it from wherever you might be if you're not able to come. But we just wanna make sure we had told you we were gonna keep you in the loop. Many of you have seen that out on social media already, but we wanna make sure you knew so you could plan accordingly. And we'd love for you to come together and just let's celebrate, let's laugh, let's cry, and let's uh, walk this path of loss and grief that we as humans have to do this side of heaven. And so it's gonna be a rich day uh, together next Saturday. So plan to make that if you can. One of the things that we began by saying last week in this series is what we're gonna see throughout it is the heart of God demonstrated in the context of relationships, demonstrated around the table as Jesus is at a meal with people. And we're gonna keep watching him show us what God is like because we believe that Jesus is 100% God, 100% human, and he demonstrates, he reveals who God is to us. 
in profound ways. And so I'm excited. And one of the things that we've said during this series is that it really lends itself because of the nature of sitting around a table for us to engage with the people in our oikos, for us to engage with the people in um, our relational world and to really think about who are the people that maybe I haven't really been intentional with, I haven't been praying for, I haven't sat around the table with that I should invite again to a meal. Now I want that out on the front lobe of our minds and, and not just being aware, but taking action and getting on that phone, sending a text, making a call and inviting them to have a meal with you. That's gonna be a really rich part of this series as well. Well, today's narrative we pick up and it's one that's really interesting. It's usually thought of in the context of Jesus talking about the need of being overdoing of being overdoing. But I will tell you, I'm not sure that's the most significant part of this passage. I've even taught it that way. I've taught that this passage is more important to be someone like Mary who's gonna be at Jesus's feet than to be someone like Martha who's up and doing. But I wanna tell you out of the very gates today, I'm not sure that's exactly the most significant message in this passage. And I'm excited to dive in and find it out with you. Number one in your notes, if you have your notes, you can have those ready to go. Jesus valued women and invited them to follow him. Jesus valued women and invited them to follow him. We're in Luke chapter 10. We pick it up in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. I think this scenario is interesting because if you don't know anything about any of these characters, it won't connect any dots. But if you stop and think about it, you would maybe remember that Martha and Mary are sisters to someone named, I heard it, Lazarus. And so here's what's fascinating in a culture that was very much dominated by a sense of just a male presence it's fascinating that Luke, the author of this gospel, one who did incredible research to make sure that he was getting everything precise as to what Jesus did, he doesn't say that Jesus went to Lazarus's home, whereby Mary and Martha happened to also be there. He doesn't even mention him. It says he went to a home where two sisters live. Their names are Mary and Martha. And it says that Martha received Jesus under her care and under her roof. And in hospitality is a big deal today, but I'm just gonna tell you, amplify that by 10 or more in the Middle East in the first century. It was huge how well you took care of people and what that meant if you treated them well, what that did for your reputation. If you treated them poorly, what that did for your reputation. So this is a big deal and, and Martha's all about it. She's gonna make this experience to be really profound. But we see that Mary not involved in the preparations, at least at this point, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That phrase is really interesting. It's the same one that Paul would use when he was sharing his testimony, his story. In Acts 22, verse three, this is what he said. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem. I studied, I studied under Gamaliel. Studied under is the same exact language that it's used in Luke 10 to describe what Mary was doing. 
Mary was studying under, Mary was at the feet of Jesus, listening and growing like any disciple would have. And this might mean little to us in the 21st century in Southern California, but 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, the fact that Jesus invited women to come and learn, to come and grow, to come and be near him and be a part of the disciple-making process was completely unheard of and powerful in their lives. Look in your notes. Women weren't allowed that kind of access to rabbis and weren't afforded the option of being disciples in any context. Women always got it secondhand, if at all, from their husband or from another man who was able to walk with, who, who could sit at the feet of, who had the dust on their, on their uh, bodies from the, the feet, the walking of the rabbi in front of them. That was what men were allowed to do, women not so much. So this is powerful. First century readers would have stopped and taken pause right at the very thing we read right over for understandable reasons why we don't think so much of it. For this and many other reasons, it was also jaw-dropping when we read in Paul's letter to the Galatians how he put it. He said, verse, chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. He's breaking down these incredible barriers, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's not to say that those those distinctions weren't there, but what it was to say is that those limiters were no longer there, those boulders in the road for the Gentile, the boulder in the road for the one who was, um, who was not free but a slave, the boulder in the road for the woman who couldn't approach God like a man could. All of those things were set aside in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus modeled that and his church then and today does that same thing. I grew up in a time in our world, it's the best way to put it, in uh, the, the memories I have are from the late 70s into my rockin' high school years in the 80s. And I think of that era in there and I think of the things now looking back that really characterized the way that women were often treated. Maybe better than they had a generation before, but there were always those over and subtle small jokes, innuendos made here and there, common things that were said about the value, the worth, and the quality of who people were who were women. And I lived in a culture where that got just kind of laughed at and, and just brought up as fun, not just outside of the church, but in it as well. And it was just commonplace. It was probably similar if you're in my age range, I'm 52, you might've grown up in a society and a culture very similar and you thought next to nothing of it because that's just how everybody acted. It sure doesn't mean it was right. And I think about that and I, I thought about that this last week and I was thinking about the people that I knew though who demonstrated the greatest kind of character, the people I knew who demonstrated the greatest kind of perseverance, the people I knew who demonstrated a servant's heart and yet showed love to people more often than anyone else. Those people in my life were women, primarily my mom. There is no one who was more influential in me growing to want to know Jesus and to want to follow him more than my mom did. 
And it's a powerful thing to think that there was a culture even inside the church that thought less of women and yet the people who were making impressive, significant, meaningful impact were definitely women. And so this is what I love about this passage. Because the beauty is, is not just was I raised by a godly woman who demonstrated so many of the character traits that God has called us to, the, the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5, but I get to be married to a woman who's incredibly wise, who's incredibly discerning, and who's so incredibly organized. And I'm so grateful for Joanna and all that she brings into my life and into our family. I've had the incredibly rich opportunity to also raise three daughters, three strong women who love Jesus, flawed, make mistakes absolutely like every other human on the planet, but I see their character. I see their desire to wanna please God and love people. I see their gifts growing all the time in the way that God is using them now and what he has in store for them. And I just go, God, what a privilege. What a privilege to be a girl dad and to get to watch what he's doing in my girls' lives. So we look at this and when we as a church say, God, we value all people. And one of those most obvious places that people begin to then break down, what does all people mean is we quickly go to the sexes of male and female. And I just wanna tell you, when we value women at High Desert Church, because of our ministries to them, our ministries for them. When we value women in the way that they lead in significant ways, both in lay leadership roles and on our staff, when we value the input and the perspective of women, we are simply walking in Jesus's sandals because he did it first. And I'm so grateful that he led this example for us that we would walk therein. So as we process the rest of this passage, no, even just these first two verses would have caused the first century audience just to pause and go, who lets women have that kind of access to him as a rabbi, as a teacher? The, the answer we already know, Jesus does. Number two in your notes, you question Jesus's care when you're pursuing your own agenda rather than his. You begin to question Jesus's care when you're pursuing your own agenda rather than his. We continue in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Last words that we just read before this was Mary found a comfortable place at the feet of Jesus, listening to him talk about the kingdom of God. The very next words in chapter 10, verse 40 are Martha losing her mind. Look at some of these words. It says that she was distracted. The, this Greek word literally means to be dragged all around, to be overoccupied and too busy about a thing. I love that. It actually looks like our English word perspire, to sweat. 
And that's probably exactly what was going on, not just in her head. She was perspiring in her mind of all the details, but physiologically in her body. She was probably a hot mess trying to get everything taken care of and flustered and frustrated. Jesus, don't you care about me? Don't you care about what needs to be done? Tell my sister to get off her duff. Join me in the kitchen and let's get this thing done. I'll never forget, it's obscure, so you might not have ever seen it, even if you're as old as I am. But I remember years ago as a kid, this would have been in the 70s, going to Disneyland, and there was something in Tomorrowland that's probably Buzz Lightyear nowadays, but it used to be this, it was all kinds of different shows. One time it was a 360 degree camera, and you were looking at cool nature shots. But the one time I'm remembering was even before that, and there was this film, you would watch a, a mini cartoon, it couldn't have been longer than five or seven minutes, but what it was going on about was the incredible technology advances that we were having in our culture. So think 1977 and the amazing technology of the time. Now you're like, Todd, it's 2023. We're way ahead. I get it. But as I'm listening to this thing, I'm just a kid, but I'm listening to the, the narrator and he's using, I think Goofy is the main character. And he's talking about all of the amazing advances in technology and what that was gonna equal is all the leisure time we would have. Can you fast forward from 1977 and think about all the technology that has gone so much further than what they had then and realize that technology is doing more for us now than it ever has before, but how's your leisure time? And the answer is, you're as busy or more than anyone in 1977 was. Because we have this wonderful way of wanting to be distracted. We have this wonderful way of being dragged all about and not able to focus, not able to be still, of wanting to be in the know. And if you're going, Todd, hogwash, I'm not like that at all. Here's a litmus test. When's the last time you watched TV at home while you weren't on your phone at the same time? You are not looking me square in the eye anymore right now. But you're like, hmm, I guess so because it's not enough. We have trained our brain to constantly need interaction. And any kind of lull causes a bit of panic. And by the way, this is not me just pointing my finger at you. Last Sunday, on a day where we were all at home, we, we, my family was together all weekend, we had the best weekend, we're all together Jackson wants to watch the Laker game, start at 12.30. I want to watch the UCLA game, starts at one o'clock. And Pastor George did an amazing job praying for the, uh, uh, the NASCAR race down in Fontana. I wanted to see how that finished. So what I do? Three screens at once going on, trying to keep track of everything. So this is not at all like a, you all got a problem. We all have got a problem. And we relate to Martha like maybe never before. Has there been a people that is just so constantly in need of information and input and doing and so struggle to just be still? Mary in this situation wasn't taking a nap. She wasn't being lazy but she was actively paying attention. She was actively listening. Watch this. She was actively worshiping 
her savior. And Martha can't have any of it. We have got to move and groove. Things are happening. There's a schedule to keep, let's go. I think this is true. This happens actually in different spots where we don't even, we wouldn't always see it, but when it happens, it kind of gets this like this picture in our mind. I've been on numerous mission trips or service opportunities and it'll be like it's, it's part of that trip or part of that day includes some work and we're doing a manual job. And at one point people figure out, you know, this is great. We're doing X to help this group of people. But I wonder what it would be if I actually went over and met the group of people we say we're serving and actually show them a little bit of love and kindness. And one or two peel off and they're talking to the family for which we're building a house in Mexico. Or we're talking to the people that we're doing some work in their village. Or we're talking to the people in a neighborhood that we do a big serve project or working with uh, the rescue mission here in town. And some people walk over and talk to the homeless people that we're trying to do something to potentially help. And then it's those who continue working that look across the way and go, you lazy. Get your broom, get your rake, let's go, we got a job to do. And in those moments when we have that posture, we are as more Martha as you're ever gonna be because you've completely forgotten the plot. Martha's running around in this whirling dervish. She's got so much on her mind, so many distractions, there's a timeline to get done. And I'm sure in her mind, she says one thing to Jesus, but she's thinking, Mary, it it must be awful nice. Must be awful nice to just sit there and listen to Jesus and not do anything to help me get ready for him. What a world that would be. Man, if you just actually got up and came and helped me. It's so easy to lose the forest for the trees. You see, her chief concern is interesting. Her chief concern wasn't that Mary would get up and help so Martha could have a turn. That never evidences itself in the passage. Her chief concern is that Jesus doesn't care about her. Jesus, don't you care that Mary's not up helping me? It's not, don't you care that Mary's getting all the time and I'm not getting any? She's saying, I wish Mary would stop it and get over here and get on my page helping me with my agenda. And what is she? She's forgetting what we looked at last week, this passage from 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because He cares. He pays special attention to, he cares for you. Even though she had invited Jesus to come into her home so she could care for her needs, I'm sorry, care for his needs. The reality is that she wasn't all on the wavelength of what Jesus was there to do and had actually hijacked the agenda. This is about my thing, Jesus. I've got jobs to get done. I've got timelines. I've got boxes to check. I need her help. I'm wondering if you've ever had a time like that. Not the time of busy. We've all had busy, but I wonder if you've had a time when you felt like you were perspiring for a lot of things and good things, things that honored God, but it didn't seem like he cared. 
It didn't seem like he was giving you what you needed to get what you thought needed to get done. Not enough time, not enough help, not enough resources, fill in the blank. And what did that lead to if you felt that way? It often leads to discouragement. You become discouraged. Ray Johnston, founding pastor of Bayside Church up in the East Sacramento area, he writes in one of his books about this idea that the times of greatest discouragement that he faced weren't necessarily those when he had too much to do, but they were in times that had fewer projects to be done, but when he was most discouraged in his spirit about the circumstances. Those were the headwaters of burnout. Not always too much to do, but the discouragement he was facing and what was going on. It's interesting that Martha does next in this passage what the disciples did last week. Turn the crowds away. They're telling the son of God what to do. And Martha does the same thing this week. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. It's an imperative verb. It's a direct command. Jesus, you need to get her on my timeline, on my schedule. It's fascinating to me when I read that of why she just didn't get right to the point and talk to Mary herself. And it's interesting. She's a sister there at a co-level. It's interesting how she appeals to what seems to be and is a greater authority over Mary's life than Martha, but that of Jesus. Jesus, tell Mary to stop being with you and get on my page. We've got stuff to do. My agenda is really important. And I think that's the thing I want you to see. When I told you, I think that the, the true message, what we're supposed to walk away from this passage isn't so much about the busyness versus the being. Though that's there, I think it's really bigger I think Martha, what she has done is she has said, this whole thing is supposed to go a certain way. I've gotten an agenda. Jesus, not only does Mary need to get on my page, but you do. You don't understand what is going on and what needs to happen. And I think when you just pause and you hear the emotion, you hear the passion, and what you realize is, She's not remembering that she has the savior of the world in her living room. She's completely lost perspective of who she's talking to. Now, in a fun, silly way, this ad campaign makes me laugh. This commercial speaks to something of the same point. Take a look. So I said, yeah, you're saving hundreds with the home and auto bundle from Progressive, but there's no saving that casserole. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that word bundle. It's so fun. So, you know, two things coming together like a force of nature, like it was really meant to be, you know? Yes. Yes, I do. I'm so glad you want to save money. Rodney, set up a bundle for John Hamm. Mm, of course. John, is it still cool if I catch a ride home with you? I never said it was. You know, but technically you didn't say it wasn't. It's not. Yet. Hey, how come those non-famous people got a seat by the fireplace? John, we gotta talk about your career. I've been telling them it's about the international market. It's all musicals oh. now, musical theater. <laughs> I love that commercial line and the whole thread. I'm not at all comparing John Hamm to Jesus, don't get me wrong, but the whole thread behind this idea of this commercial line with Progressive, which by the way, I'm not getting a paid a dime to use their commercial, but it's the idea of flow. John Hamm is flirting with you. What's your problem? Pay attention. 
Most any single woman in America would want that guy flirting with her. What are you thinking? And I think that's actually the biggest part of what this passage is about. Martha, you're scuttling all around trying to get all these things done when God in flesh is in your home. Maybe your posture, rather than all the perspiration and all the running here and there, maybe your posture ought to look exactly like your sister Mary. And you ought to take off the apron and come sit at his feet and listen. Because in your notes, who's in your house, Martha? Who's in your house? Pay attention to what's going on under your own roof and recognize that the savior of the world is in your living room. We've already said that Jesus, that the, the tide, the culture was not for women to get much opportunity with a rabbi. Jesus invites Mary and her sister Martha to sit at his feet and listen. And do we not remember what's our